Welcome to Trail and Error, a look at the trail running world from the podium to the pack with your hosts Jay Grady and Tristan Stevenson. We decided to start our own trail running podcast to talk to the people we find interesting in the trail and ultra running world, to find out their highs and lows, their momentous successes and their abject failures, and to perhaps give us all a little bit of inspiration to take on some adventures and challenges of our own. We'll be speaking to runners and athletes, race directors and coaches, sports nutritionists and doctors to get the best out of our own running and hopefully yours too. We hope you enjoy the podcast and if you do, please hit like and subscribe via all the normal podcast feeds. But for now, let's get on with the show. If you've got stomach ulcers, that is. (laughs) All right, we're recording. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Trail and Error. This week, Tris and I are joined by Mimi Anderson. I was going to say legendary Mimi Anderson, but I didn't want to make you blush. But um... no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've never thought I don't like the word legendary or legend because I'm, I'm sub- not. I'm just an ordinary and, person. And it almost sounds like you've died if we say legendary as well. You're like, you know, we, we, we talk into a presence, but um, <laughs> very much alive and kicking and, and still setting new uh, adventures and challenges for all of us. Uh, Mimi, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, That's a pleasure. It's lovely to be here. We met, I think, uh, I think I treated your legs on uh, a Le Jog, uh 2018, maybe. Yeah, that was it. Yes, that was my first big um, bicycle, I call it, still call it bicycle, bicycle ride, cycle ride, yes. <laughs> Are you not supposed to call them bicycles? Is that well, like derogatory? Everybody else goes cycling, don't they? And I go bikling. So I, d- I don't think I've sort of progressed to being a proper cyclist yet. Definitely sounds a bit more old school, bicycling. Yeah. It does, doesn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also it, it um, confirms if there's any doubt that you are cycling on two wheels. Whereas if you say I'm going cycling, it leaves it open to interpretation, right? It could be a trike, it could mm. be a unicycle, it could be something with eight wheels, right? Ex- exactly. You see, so there we go. So I'm definitely a bicyclist. um and and then you i think you were a guest speaker at a uh it was in the brecon beacons i think maybe the like likes race um one of the orchards down there i did a talk there yes yeah so um yeah so nice nice to see you again um for those who don't know you are well if anybody doesn't know uh shame on you but um yeah you you are you still holding the women's le jog uh sorry joggle record for uh, John O'Groats Land's End? Uh, yes, well, I held it for just over 11 years, so it's now been um, taken away from me, which is fine because that is what records are there for, isn't it? Um, but I reckon holding it for that long, I was quite proud of myself. I was always waiting for somebody to, to take <laughs> it away um, because it's, it is one of those classic records, isn't it? Um, and what was your time? It was, it's up on the wall actually, it was, I always forget, it was 12 days, 15 hours, and I think, what was uh, 46 minutes and 35 seconds, so there we go. Wow, that's pretty amazing. And did they yeah. beat it by much? Yeah, no, she, Carla did really well. She beat it by, she did it in 12 hours and I think 30 minutes. I mean, wow. that's quite some going, isn't it? Did she get pulled by the police though? Because famously you got nicked nearly at Camborne um on the last part of the journey and some no, officious officer oh well, there you go <laughs> we could have arranged that if we'd have known um 
Uh, you say famously, I'm not aware of this. So what, there's a story here, obviously, if you're willing to tell it. What happened at Campbell? Oh, yes, I was literally, it was the last day of the, of the, of the attempt. And it was really touch and go as to whether I was going to get the record or not. So my crew, who were absolutely on their, you know, on their knees at this stage as well, sort of worked out that for me to get the record, I had to keep above a certain pace. I can't remember what that was now, but I had to keep going throughout the day. You know, there would be no stopping or anything. So I thought, okay, I can do that, no problems. And the sun was shining. I was feeling fantastic. And I just thought, yes, last day of running, hooray. And we got stopped. Uh, by the police on the A30 and uh, it was it was ridiculous because I wasn't doing anything illegal I was allowed to be running on the road and he was trying to divert us off which would have added another I don't know two or three hours so yeah so thankfully one of my crew happened to be a policeman who worked for that particular area and so he rang his boss and managed to sort of get it sorted but that was 45 minutes um, oh. and, you know, when you go running and you do that sort of thing, your feet, I mean, you know, I had quite blistered feet anyway, and they were, they were very swollen up at that stage. So when you stop and then have to get going again, you've got to warm up your blisters and warm up your yeah. feet and, you know, yeah. It's so. true. The, the concept of warming up your blisters is a real thing, right? It it's, when you start, if you're in a long race or like, especially like a multi-day like that, and you stop for five minutes, everything hurts again as soon as you start, doesn't it? Yeah. And then five, ten minutes after that, you settle back into, I think your brain goes, okay, cool, well, we're not going to make this hurt all the time. We're just going to remind you every time you restart that it hurts. Yeah, oh, but honestly, it was sort of, oh. and I think, I think what I found most difficult was it was also raining. And, mm. uh, you know, and I... Well, you I, said it was a nice day. Yeah, it was a nice day, but while I was sitting in the police car, it decided, oh, right. <laughs> decided to rain. So, and my crew were fantastic. They kept saying, come on, Mimi, you can do this and you can do this. And it was, I felt very negative at that point um, because I felt that the record had been taken away from me. You know, I was mm. so close and it'd been taken away. And then I remember seeing this sign, uh, which I always laugh at every time I pass it now, if I go down that road, that said Penzance 13 miles. And I just thought, yes. Do you know, that's half a marathon. I can do that. What I'd forgotten in my head at that point, thank goodness, was that it was actually a, another 13 miles past that <laughs> yeah. to get to Land's End. But who cares? Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's so, the way you break it up, isn't it, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I, know that I'm, I know the bit near the end is nearly there, so we'll get to that and then we'll deal with the rest of it afterwards, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One step at a time. Yeah, that's yeah. It. So did the police, was their main issue that you were running on the road or was it the crew that was sort of driving slowly on the road or what was the problem there exactly? I don't know what the problem was. I think they said that somebody had complained that there was a runner on the road. Now we were running, um, obviously I was running with the traffic because I had somebody um, on a bike with me. The crew were nowhere near me at that stage. They, they would go ahead and wait in a lay-by, mm. so they weren't getting in anybody's way mm. at all. We always say jokingly um, that it was the previous world record holder that, that uh, <laughs> rang the police. That, it's not true. But well, we possibly somebody saw you putting it, cream but, on a, yeah. a, a scone first or something. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, but somebody complained because it is in July and there was lots of traffic. But uh, yeah, 
anyway, we managed to do it. Duh. Shame on them. Um, so it, it comes up kind of in a few times. So um, I, I, I confess to you um, that I'd read Beyond Impossible quite a few times, uh, yeah. and I've just listened to it again in the past week. Um, and and it's it's almost there's so many. Um, if you haven't read the book, by the way, we're going to put some links in the show notes. But you you do have to read these these books that Mimi's written. And um, there's so many stories in that that could be a booking themselves. You know, uh, just so many stories that you that I wish we could kind of dive into. And and we're limited in today, obviously, but we definitely revisit some of those. But again and again, it comes up in your um, your running how. Uh, almost like the false summits set these expectations of, of you know, we're almost there and then it, it's further back. So I think the Yukon one was one in particular where, you, oh. you, you know, you could see the town in the distance um, and it was miles, I think it was 16 miles away, but it seemed like it was just around the corner. And of course, you, you started to speed up and started to sweat out in the sub-zero temperatures and somebody had to rein you in. I think your son reined you in, Rory. Um, yeah, bless him at the end. Yes, he did. Oh, no, that I remember that. I was feeling absolutely fantastic. And, you know, um, I never realised that rivers, because I was w- walking on a, a frozen river at that stage, that rivers actually go uphill. I mean, who knew that? I mean, I know you have waterfalls and things, but anyway, this one went uphill. But I remember sort of getting uh, sort of to the top and I had this beautiful sunset um, and the whole sky went pink, absolutely stunning. And I was on my own. So I took my sledge off and I wrote Marvellous in the snow. Um, and then one of the crew, and you could see, you know, in the distance, you could sort of see the lights and things. And the crew said to me, you know, you're, you're, at that stage, I was 25 kilometres away from the town. And I thought, I mean, you know, after you've done 300 odd miles, you know, 25 kilometres really isn't uh, very much, is it? So, um, sorry, it's my coffee machine going off. <laughs> um so, yes, yeah, so I thought, right, um, and I picked up my pace and I started, you know, obviously I started sweating and things. And by the time I got to what I thought was very close to the finish, um, I met up with, the, again, the support crew. And, uh, and, and I was expecting them to say, right, you know, the finish Mimi is literally just, just down there. And they went, yeah, do you, wanna, do you want a coffee or something or a hot chocolate? Why do I want that? We're nearly finishing. Mm. Anyway, um, it, it wasn't. So I, I obviously, I think we had 10K to go. My son, who was part of the crew, was allowed to sort of come with me at that stage, which was very special. And um, every time I went into a run, or well, I thought it was a run, he, he had to laugh. And he said, Mum, for goodness sake, you're much better. You're walking quicker than you're running. So <laughs> I, I thought, oh, that's a bit embarrassing. What, was, what, was the, what was the event? Sorry. It was a race called the 6633 um, Arctic Ultra, which is a 352-mile nonstop race um, in oh, the yeah. Canadian Arctic. Yeah, and it's, But it's the only race that it crosses the Arctic Circle, which is fantastic. You then run and you finish the race uh, by running 120 miles on an ice road. So there's something quite special about that. And then when you actually finish the race. You really want that road to be downhill, right? That would be useful. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you you finish on the Arctic Ocean. I mean, quite quite surreal. And you're standing on an ocean. Yeah, beautiful race. That doesn't sound like the entry fee is cheap. Um, I I had... um, the there's an arctic marathon isn't there that yeah. was served up to me through social media repeatedly in the last 12 months 
to the point where I was almost clicking go on then but it's very expensive yeah, um, to expensive. enter because obviously just logistics of getting out there in the first place is is nuts I suppose in a sense there's something there's an advantage of it being a longer race because you don't have to get quite so close to the arctic circle because you've got to run there anyway right um, yeah, no, exactly. And also, you know, because it's in the Canadian, so you're flying to, into Whitehorse. Mm. Um, I mean, there are two flights and then you've got a 500 mile journey by car. So uh, vehicle to get to the start. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So if you're going to do something like that, you might as well win it, right? Yes. I remember saying to my husband, um, I quite like to win this race. Bear in mind, this is the first cold race I'd ever done. And it was the longest I'd ever run in my entire life and uh, my husband just looked at me and he went well that's a stupid idea isn't it <laughs> um, he said you don't know who the other competitors were and I, and I said uh, well I know but I just thought you know I, I quite like to do it uh, so yeah I did have a plan um, and thankfully I did win so <laughs> I was quite pleased by about that. 20 hours or 24 hours or something 24 hours just over 24 hours yeah yeah wow yeah well, I don't think um, it's unusual for anyone to win something, a big event, without the thought of winning having crossed their mind at some point, right? I think it's, it's, it's hubris to go into an event thinking, I am going to win this, especially if you don't know the competitors. But to have a winning attitude is really important, I think, because it's, it's unusual to sort of stumble into a win, right? It, you've got to have an intention there. I think so. And I think, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, obviously it's all about the training and it's self-belief as well. You know, you've got to believe in yourself that you have the ability to, to do the best you can to win a race. Um, and all I could do was go out there and do the best that I could. If somebody else was better than me, well, of course they're going to beat me, but if I did the best that I could, so I had a plan in place, um, it was slightly scuppered my plan because uh, only by a few hours because the medical, the, the doctor quite rightly said to me that, uh, right, Mimi, you're absolutely knackered because I'd fallen asleep standing up. And he, he, she said, you're exhausted, so you've got to spend another couple of hours in uh, one of the checkpoints, which I was really cross about. Because <laughs> I just remember thinking, I remember <laughs> the, 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 the race director coming up to me and she, he said, Mimi, you could sleep for eight hours now, more than eight hours, and they still, the next person wouldn't catch you up. And I said, well, what happens if they suddenly start sprinting? <laughs> They're 19 hours behind you. That's what they were at that stage. But I just couldn't get my head around the maths. I mean, yeah, just at all, it just didn't make sense. So. And, and I think a, a non-competitive runner did come past you didn't they 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 dropped out because and they could do the last day and of course you saw somebody chasing you down and you were like almost like you lying bastard they're, they're there how could you do that to me you let me sleep <laughs> i know i was sort of going along onto the ice road so it was the it was the the longest section between checkpoints it was 70 70 miles and i had decided i was going to do this all in in one go so there was me plodding along feeling absolutely exhausted and then suddenly from behind i could hear this sort of footsteps so I was thinking, I'm sure they weren't that close to me. And this French guy who I think he'd got pulled, I think, on the first day because of frostbite, which is really sad for him, uh, was then allowed to do, to do the ice road. So he went shooting past me and he didn't say hello or anything. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to try and keep up with him and it was knackering. 
absolutely <laughs> knackering, but it was quite a good way to um, keep you awake and keep you focused. So. Do you um, do you expect if you're if you're in a race and you're at the front or very near the front? Do you often experience a sense of sort of paranoia, like I'm being chased, I need to keep the, you know, pedal to the metal, keep the throttle down, keep on pushing? Is that your sort of mentality when you're in a winning position? Um, I mean, I think on that, on that race, I literally just put one foot in front of the other and, you know, I just got to the end. But I think, um, yes, I'm always aware uh, that somebody can come up at any time. So I will continue sort of, you know, just pushing myself. Um, and if you do hear, I mean, on several occasions in races, I've sort of heard footsteps behind or something. <laughs> and you're thinking, no, 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 we're so close to the finish now. No, no, so you, you have to, you know, you have to just keep on pushing. And then they go past and, of course, they're not, uh, it's not a female in any way or whatever. So it's sort of, it doesn't really matter quite so much. But, uh, yeah, in the Spartathlon, I had that. I was, um, I think I was second female and... Um, and I, I hadn't wanted to know where I was. This is a race in um, Greece. It starts in Athens and it finishes in um, Sparta. It's 153 miles nonstop. It's a road race. And uh, I, it was in the second day and I was running along up this hill in the second position. And I suddenly thought, oh, this is all right. And then I heard these two women coming up behind me. And I suddenly went from being second to fourth. I thought, well, we're not having that. So instantly you mm. just think, right, you know, you go into a different mode at that stage, mm. don't you? You just got to sort of try and get one of your places back. And I managed third, but not, not uh, sadly, not second. Scott Jurek um, famously got left chased, in the I think, the first time he when, did. Uh, um, I think we crossed over each other there. <laughs> I was just saying it's surprising yeah. what's... It's, it's surprising what's left in the tank when you really need that reserve, isn't it? And, oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. it's obviously banded around a lot in ultra running and endurance circles these days, like, you know, the whatever it is, the 40% rule. And that recent um, 14 summits of the 8,000 meter peaks where yes. there's, there's the quote that's come out of it. When you think you're fucked, you're actually only 45% fucked. Absolutely, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And um, it, it's, I mean, it's true. It's certainly true up to a point anyway. I mean, I've experienced it where I didn't think there was much left, a few percent, and suddenly, you know, you find that reserve. And it's very, you know, it's an empowering thing to know that it's there if it's really necessary. I don't know how far you can push it. I mean, eventually, of course, you'll, you'll just drop dead. But <laughs> yeah. No, I know, but it's, yeah, well, hopefully not that extreme. But, it's a, but you know, the, the body and the mind are extraordinary machines aren't they you know you worked working together and and also if you want something I think you know the mind can you know work the other way where in, you're in a race and you know things aren't really going so well and if you, if you let your mind then wander to think well you know if I was at home I could be having a nice bath or a glass of wine or I'd be nice and warm or whatever as soon as you let your brain do that you sort of almost lost lost your way and mm. uh, you know you'll be out but you know the brain then works the other way where something mm. happens you know somebody's coming up behind you or you're just exhausted but you know you've got five miles to go and somehow you know you can do you can do that five miles you can get to that finish line and as mm. soon as you stepped over the finish line everything just yeah, and everything, everything crumbles yeah. but it's so true like focus is such an important part of the sport and it's not 
necessarily something that we train for specifically, perhaps inadvertently. But, you know, if you're going to do well in a race, you, you have to focus. And one of the one of the most grueling things really about an ultra that takes, you know, 24 hours plus is that you need to be, re- retain that focus the entire time. Yeah. And that requires a huge amount of mental energy to do that. Obviously, your legs are moving and all that kind of stuff as well. But that, that, for, that energy requirement to mentally focus on the task so that you don't drift off and think, God, well, you know what? I've done well. <laughs> no one's going to judge me if I stop here. Most people aren't even running right now. You know, everyone else is sat on the side, whatever. You know, you've got to, you know, remove those, those thoughts in your mind and just stay focused stick to the task at hand but it's quite easy sometimes i know if you're going through a bit of a a bad patch we all go through bad patches and races where Mm. you know you're running along and you just think well do you know if i just tripped now or (laughs) fell and twisted my ankle or broke my ankle that would be fantastic that would be a legitimate you know you can put that up on social media can't you really sorry twisted my broke your ankle and then you find yourself laughing thinking Mimi why are you thinking this but I've done it several times, mm, you know, yeah. thoughts, well, I could just trip up here or I could do that. If I ran head first into that tree, yeah. then at least I wouldn't <laughs> injure my legs. So I'd be training again soon, but I could get concussion and that's a ticket out of this race. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, but you did, but it does make you laugh, doesn't it? And you know, you know full well that by the time you get to the next checkpoint or you meet up with your crew or something, yeah. it, it is like being a big hug, given a big hug. And you, you then you then move on and all is right with the world. But it's just that moment where you just think, oh, that would be so easy. And it's all because, you know, social media. It, it's, what it's, can we put on social media? Yeah, but it, it, like, like you say, it's incredible the way it, those um, thoughts sort of, the way they rise up and the potency of them when they do, but then also how they dissipate so quickly. And you can five minutes later be laughing yeah. that you were in such a dark place. And because now you feel great you know and everything's effortless um it's a strange strange process we go through multiple times in these things oh absolutely i mean you know several times uh, during the race but uh, yeah i mean i think if i have a really bad time i i tend to visualize so uh you know i always have this picture of my family uh in in my head where they're they're standing at the finish line waiting for me they never are but, uh, you know, I sort of have that picture of them there. And, and that, for me, is quite a strong image yeah. um, and usually yeah. works. I tend, to, I tend to imagine people who I respect and the thought of letting them down. Yeah. And whether that means DNFing or losing a place or not finishing in a time that I think I should be finishing in, you know, those, that's the sort of... That, that's what's on the table and it some of those people are family and some of them are friends but um it's all those people yeah absolutely you know I think what I always say to my coaching clients whatever works for you and gets you through those sort of um, negative times in a race then or a, a, even a training session I mean I, I've had when I was training for America I had a really bad session where I just thought right I've had enough of this absolutely had enough and I sat in a field and I burst into tears um, and I, it's pathetic, isn't it? There's this lone woman sitting in the middle of this field in Kent, bursting in tears. And uh, I sat there for probably, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes or so. And then I just said, Mimi, pull yourself together. You know, you've got to get home anyway. So I ran home 
And the next day, my run was fine. But I think sometimes, you know, not every race or not every every training session is going to be a good one. You're going to have your bad ones. But then you learn from that and move on. And hopefully you go back some slightly better the next time. It's... um. It's always good to kind of have those motivations there as well, but also just knowing that those, accepting, I think, that those ups and downs are natural. They're the the flow of a race or a flow of an event, that they're just normal. They will go, you know, your brain will be high and and, and then it will plummet. And then I find food as well. If if I've eaten, um, my spirits are much higher. There's definitely that link between... um, consumption of energy and, and how my brain is working, whether it's happy or whether it's sad. Um, I've noticed that when I've been in a funk and taken some food on board, I've, I've lifted. Yeah. Um, that definitely has. So, you know, again, going back into fueling and making sure that it's regular, not just for movement, but for, for the mental energy as well. Oh, no, absolutely. And there's something, you know, when I started running, I was, I was not very good at uh, because I just forget to eat actually. And I don't, uh, um, I'm not very good at it. Uh, so, you know, that's the one thing that I've had to learn to do. Um, and even on the bike, you know, I can go out for three or four hours on the bike and uh, not eat anything. And my coach gets really cross with me because he's meaning, you know, on, on the plan, it says eat such and such every sort of, you know, hour. So now, you know, same with my running. It, it's just keeping yourself fueled. And you might not be hungry, but if you don't eat it, then suddenly your energy levels drop. Yeah, you're feeling more tired. You can't keep up with people, you know. So it all absolutely plays a big part in in how you're feeling. I used to, used to gauge it on movement. If I was still moving, I'd feel like I had fuel to move, and of course, totally forget about the mental side of things. Yeah. Um. So yeah, fuel, fueling is is that huge part of it. How do you? So we're talking about finishing a race and then feeling like you can drop and and it's all done. So how the hell do you motivate yourself to do the doubles you've done? And I'm just going to read out your doubles. So you've done, never mind the single versions of these, which are all impressive, but you've done double Badwater, double Comrades. So double Badwater was 292 miles with Mount Whitney twice. Um, Comrades, which was 112. Grand Union Canal, which was 290. And a double, how the hell do you do this? A double Spartathlon. Yeah, that was a bit mad, wasn't it? That one. (laughs) Um, yeah. How do you get to that point? So the comrades, when I know you did differently, you you ran because of security and all sorts of things in South Africa. You ran on your own before the race, and then you ran back with the race. You did your return leg, but yes, yeah. But the others, I I did the race. No, um, and the Grand Union Canal, I ran to the race. Uh, okay, you ran um, to the start. Yeah, but but I um I actually spoke to um Dick, who's you know that who that that stage was the guy who organised the race. Um, and said, look, this is what I want to do, because what I didn't want to do is do it without him knowing that I was doing it. I thought that was being sort of rude. Um, and I think if if, if, you, if I was to do it again, I would probably do the race first. And then, because if you don't complete the race, you're then taking a place out, you know, you're yeah. taking a place out of somebody else's, um, you know, it's all a lottery now. Um, anyway, he, yeah. So I ran, I ran to the race. And it absolutely tipped with rain <laughs> running to the race. But I did it in a really good time. So I was very, very pleased with that. And then the return journey, obviously, with everybody else on that one. Uh, loved it. Absolutely. There was no pressure at all. The sun was shining. I chatted to people. I had ice creams. Oh, do you know, it was fab. 
two completely different races. Um, but I think it's like anything in, in, you know, it doesn't matter what the distance of race it is, whether you're going to do um, a, a park run, a marathon, you know, an ultra, it doesn't matter if you know that you're going to be running 5K, 10K, 50K, whatever it is, then your mind and your body can get you to the end of the 50K. You can do that. But if you then know that you're going to turn around and come back, again, your brain knows that. So when mm. you get to the finish line, it's only – if somebody told me after a 100-kilometer race that I then had to run back, I mean, I'd, I'd probably give them a piece of my mind. But because, <laughs> because I'd planned it and in my head that is what I was going to do, um, it just seemed quite normal. Not, it's so not- true. We've, we had this conversation with Paul Maskell as well, talking about how your mind kind of deals with the distance that you're expecting to do. And it, for me, it always tends to be that whatever that distance is, about two thirds of the way through, it's going to suck, yeah. you know? Um, and if that's a 5K, then it's going to suck at 3K. Yeah. Um, if it's a marathon, it's going to suck at about 20 miles. Um, and if it's a hundred miles, then it's not going to suck until I get, you know, well beyond 60 or 70 miles. Um, because, you know, I, I'm aware of the slice of cake that I am attempting to eat. Um, and you know, it, it's, it's really interesting. And I wonder if there's something in that for sort of mentally, um, mentally preparing yourself for a race in a different way to the distance of the race that you're actually doing so that you can be faster and more positive throughout the entirety of the race. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I sort of, um, I, I mean, I think so. It, it's sort of, I mean, for me, my sort of planning for it is that I always want to try and do the best that I can in the actual race itself without pushing myself so hard that I then have nothing left for the return journey. But I don't want to just go and compete in the race mm. and not really push myself because I think that that sort of it's not something that I would do so I want to um for example in uh bad water um I think I came fourth female and my time was better than it had been when I'd done I had done it the first time so by quite some margin and um but I loved oh loved the return journey of that you know climbing up to summiting Mount Whitney absolutely fantastic you know that was an experience I hadn't had before um, we, it had been delayed because there was snow and things on the, on the mountain. Uh, we were very lucky. We had the most fantastic day. So when we got to the, the top, we had views that were just to die for. I mean, they were stunning. And then all the other runners, as I was then running back to the start, were driving past me and would stop and wave and give us their food and give us their kit. And, you know, so it's, you just keep pushing um and you know you're still running even in the second half of of the event quite probably not quite so quickly as you would be running in the first half but uh you know you're still running because that's what you've trained for both physically and mentally you've you've trained to do that so that's what you're going to do presumably on these sort of super long ones um you are sleeping at some point during it. Um, I would, I would have thought on a two hundred and fifty mile, even if it's short naps. Is that true? Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So, uh, well, comrades. Interestingly enough, I mean that was a hundred and something miles. But comrades, we had, uh, we started. I had to 
I had to do that within the time limit. So the time limit for Comrades is 12 hours. So I did the the uproot first. And I think I did that in uh, just, uh, well, I did that in under 10 hours. I think it was nine hours 40 to, to do that. And I literally had to get from the finish of the uproot to the start of the down route um, to get into my pen to then run all the way back again. So having run 90 kilometers, I then had to do the same all the way back. And I had no sleep on that one at all um, because there just physically wasn't time yeah. to do it. Uh, Grand Union and the Spartathlon um, and also Badwater. Yes, I did have some sleep. Um, I mean, Spartathlon at one stage. <laughs> I was literally going along the road and I, I just fell asleep. And uh, one of my crew had to hold me up at the back and keep pushing me forward. <laughs> and he got me to the support my support car. And he said, I think Mimi needs 20 minutes here. So they literally put me into the front seat and they, they were great. They just left me alone and they woke me up exactly 20 minutes later. And I went, oh, you were so noisy. And of course, they hadn't made any noise at all. All I remember is going to sleep, hearing the door shut. And then waking up and obviously they're opening the door telling me it's time to get to, to go. So, yeah, so I, I would have the odd 20 minutes. And do you, are they sort of ad hoc, like as and when they're needed, or do you plan them in at all? Um, if I'm doing, when I did my, uh, well, so when I did my um, Irish world record, so Malinhead to Mizzenhead, um, I, I planned those in. Uh, so in a 24-hour period, I would have a two-hour uh, long stop where I would sleep for 90 minutes um, so that would be planned in the other ones no if I needed to rest then I'd have an hour, you know literally just a, a power nap hmm. it's um so one of the things that hit me with uh, beyond impossible was um your stopping I think it was a was it two miles or a mile from the end um, in the world record yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and and just kind of going, I'm not going any further. No, no, my brain has had enough at that stage. Yeah, that was so funny. And I don't, uh, it was my husband who told me that. So poor man. So we literally had about two two miles to go. And, uh, and I remember, oh, that last bit, that last eight miles was just a nightmare. My crew was were meeting me every mile in, in the motorhome. And it began to really annoy me that they were meeting me, not because they were annoying me. It was because I was going so slowly that it seemed to take forever to do a mile. You know, so seeing this sort of evidence of the camper van and uh, this this sort of thing, eventually I just said, "Look, can you just go to the finish? And I'll see you at the finish line." So anyway, Tim was on the bike with me. Matt's my husband, and. I just, yes, absolutely. I'd had enough at this stage and I just stopped. App just stopped, stood still. And I turned around to him and I said, I'm really sorry, but that's it. I'm not going another step further. Um, you can call the crew back and you can tell them to come pick me up, but that, that's it. I'm not doing any. And I won't tell you what he said to me at that, that particular point in time. But somehow, you know, talking about, you know, finding the energy, because I literally had nothing in the tank at all, I thought. Um, and somehow I found that sort of that little bit of energy to just do the last couple of miles. Um, and I What's even sprinted I and it poured with rain as well. And I, and I say sprinted very loosely because it was probably about, you know, three miles an hour, but to me that was really fast and that's it, you know, to the finish line. But, uh, yeah, I, I did it. 
I think you said he turned around and said to you, we're not doing this again. <laughs> you got to finish this because we're not coming back. I'm not doing all this again next year. Yeah. You know, finish yeah. now. Yeah, he, it put him off cycling for life, I tell you, because he, uh, yeah, he got he didn't have proper cycling kits. <laughs> he had very sore nether regions, poor man. Bless him. <laughs> yeah, because you know your 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 crew had a, an epic journey on that as well. You know, yeah. they, they they were running alongside and cycling on side and everything else. You got hit by a car. I did. Um, I got hit by a car in, in one of the villages. Yeah. yeah. Um, and my crew. I mean, my crew was fantastic. You know, you cannot do world records or anything like that without a support crew they you know that they are absolutely fantastic and when I was hit by the car um it was one of those moments where I just left the motorhome having had some some food and I was heading off and this car came through it was a very very quiet village and hit me on my right arm so the wing mirror of the art the, the car flew off but the car, the car kept on going and my crew were just there, and I remember seeing in the back, of, in in my sort of my the corner of my eye, my husband um, had to sort of walk away because for him, you know, he'd just seen his wife being hit by a car, and I think that was very, very emotional for him. He, mm-hmm. he and he didn't need to be there. The other crew were doing it, and they checked on my hand. My arm wasn't broken. Patched me up, and then sort of sent me on my way because you know because it's a world record you haven't got time to go to hospital or see a doctor or anything like that so yeah bit sore yeah it's um and that's the thing i think with with crew for races uh we we just chatted to um john von hoff and and tonya Olsen last last episode about crew and foot care and all this stuff but also um you mentioned repeatedly how your Having trust in your crew, having crew there when when your mind isn't at its best, where you can say, you know what, I trust what these guys are saying to me. If they're saying I need to run faster or if they're saying I need to slow down or if they're saying I need to eat, how that's such an essential part of of the journey in being able to say to to yourself, right, okay, these, these guys know what they're talking about. So having crew that you can trust. So uh, you, you've had uh, the same crew on quite a few of your uh, events, haven't you? Some good friends, I believe. Yeah, yeah, no, and they're absolutely, and I trust them implicitly. They're, you know, they're they're superb. You know, your my job as part of the team is to run, um, walk, crawl, whatever I have to do. But that that's my job, and their their job is to do absolutely everything else. So I have to trust that they know what they're talking about and their best interests, um, you know, they, they want to get me to that finish line. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Becky, who is usually my head crew, absolutely fantastic because <laughs> she's very bossy. And, um, <laughs> and she knows that, you know, I do struggle to eat sometimes. And I remember doing the double bad water that uh, she produced this bowl of... Um, not sure what it was, but it looked pretty disgusting. It was sort of carrots and chicken and blech, pasta or something. And I just, and I was like a petulant child. I stamped my foot <laughs> and I went, I am so not eating that. You see, too many carrots, you know. And I literally handed her the bowl back and I carried on going. And um, so Becky, not to be defeated by this, took out the carrots and added a bit more stuff and then met me a mile down the road and then said, there you go, Mimi, you can, I, you can eat that. And I just Carrotless. looked at it, yeah. And I said, I'm not hungry. I don't want to eat that. And she said, Mimi, put it this way. We have got all the time in the world. And if you don't eat this, we're just going to stay here until you do. 
And so it was a like, And off I went. And then I literally, I turned around and I came back and I went, so sorry. That was so rude, wasn't it? And she said, Mimi, oh my God. just go and run, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. That's, um, it's just like dinner time in my house with my children. Yeah. Um, only we don't get the apology. <laughs> I'm always apologizing to my crew or, you know. I think it's, again, it's important, isn't it? It's to, I mean, <sighs> Yes, to say you're sorry if you've done if you've been slightly grumpy because you're always going to be grumpy. They're going to be a bit grumpy sometimes, you know, um, and it, it's normal because of what you're going through. Um, and I always, again, try at the end of each day to then just to say thank you for for what they've done because you know thank you is a very small word, but it means a huge amount because I do appreciate everything they do for me, um, especially if I'm being grumpy. So yeah, no, they're great. Uh, they must have seen some amazing things over, you know, it, themselves, their own experiences as crew. Because I know my crew on on races always tell me what a great time they've had generally. And, you know, um, I always see pictures afterwards where they're sat there having an ice cream or having some coffee by a pool or something like this. And I, it, our days are so different. But um, you must have enriched their lives quite a lot with the experiences that they've seen as well. So I'm sure it's um, they, they don't mind the grumpiness at times. I hope so. I think I have. I mean, I know on Joggle we had uh, a couple of guys who I'd met before who turned up with their vintage cars. Um, and, you know, so there's me running along the road, knackered. And there's my crew, bless them, going up and down the road in these sports cars, you know, <laughs> Mimi, you know, like that. So things like that are lovely. And then um, they share hallucinations, my husband and Becky. Uh, I think in Ireland, shared um, a hallucination, um, seeing, uh, I think it was monkeys in trees. It was very weird, you know, <laughs> so you do, you do sometimes wonder, don't you? But yeah, they've been, they've been to lots of different places. Um, um, but I wouldn't, would never do it without them. You know, they're, they're just part of, they, they were so much part of my running uh, career. Yeah, um, and my wife now gets to choose where I run based on where she wants to go on holiday. Oh, perfect, um, see, as it should be. Yeah, well, it keeps everyone happy, right? Yeah, <laughs> it does, yeah. Um, so in terms of um, obviously the, all the, the epic things you've done so far, what, what, is, what is on your list now? What, what, what challenges do you see still out there? Or have you uh, not? Well, well, sadly, from a running point of view, mm. um, I, I can't do any long distance running anymore because after America, um, my, my knee is just isn't good enough to run. Uh, and that's fine. I've come to terms with that now. It took me quite a long time to come to terms with it, sadly. Um, so that's why I'm doing my bicycling. Um, I've taken up uh, my long distance uh, bicycling now, which I'm, which I'm loving. So, yeah, I've done – and I did – the um, Pacific Coast Highway in America, so Vancouver down to the Mexican border with a friend, and I've done a few other bits and pieces. So next year is a big year for me because I turn 60. So I've got lots of events all lined up to do, but they're going to be on two wheels rather than two feet. It's a lot easier on the body cycling, isn't it? It seems to be. I mean, obviously, there's certainly ways you can make yourself hurt on a bike and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, not least of all, the saddle. Um, but, uh, but uh, it, it, you know, it's just not that impact on the joints, is it, like you get with running? No, and I think, you know, sadly, I mean, I do a little bit of running, not very much. I mean, if I was still able to run, there would be so many, you know, 
all the 200s and things in America. I'd love to go and do those. Mm. I've never particularly wanted to do Western States because it's not my type of, of race, but all the really long ones, absolutely. They were all, all on my bucket list. But, you know, hey-ho, can't do any of them now, but that's fine. Um, so I think, it's, I mean, at one stage, I didn't think I'd be able to run again at all. So the fact that I can do little runs and short distances, I'm very, very happy with, and I can ride a bike. Um, so I can still stay active because I think I would really struggle if I couldn't do anything. I wouldn't like that at all. I'm always a little jealous of, of cyclists in the way that they see so much in their same time that it takes me to run a short distance. You know, you do get to see some epic things. And, and so the, the RAB event that we did, um, the yeah. Ride Across Britain thing, and, and it's always, you know, they come in at the end of the day with – mostly with with huge beaming smiles from all the things that they've seen and, and they've had a whole adventure compacted into a day yes yeah and i have to say i mean that was a fantastic event absolutely fantastic i did the the camping option because i think the only way to do it is the camping oh, yeah. option no point staying in hotels and things um and no, it it was just extraordinary. And you do the food. It is like a walking <laughs> banquet. Lulu's Kitchen. Um, oh, absolutely yeah. fantastic. I mean, the whole setup, you know, you guys, everything was just fantastic. But, I, but what um, I think for me I enjoyed was, was just the, you know, a bit like running. It's the camaraderie that you build mm. up. You know, it's meeting people. Um, I took even took a little hot water bottle with me, you know, that sort of type of <laughs> thing. That's a good call. Um, but the one thing that uh, cyclists do that I can't get the hang of at all, so with running, you do an event, you get to a checkpoint, grab your water, sort, you know, get whatever it is, and you're straight back out. Cyclists get to a pit stop. They stop for about half an hour to three quarters of an hour, <laughs> eat loads of cake, eat lots of sandwiches, have a chat, have a little natter. And then they go on again. I'm thinking, what a waste of time. Why do you want to do that? Whereas I was going, right, we'll go in and out. And the two guys that I was cycling with said, no, 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 no we're going to have a bit of stop here. We're going, really? <laughs> oh, okay. So I've had to get used to that. And I'm not sure I like it very much. <laughs> so that's the only, only bit that I wasn't too keen on. It's especially weird since they could just as easily eat and have a chat like on a downhill, right? I mean, they're just sitting down anyway, right? Well, exactly. You see, well, unless you're me on the downhill, I must be the only bikeless in the world who doesn't like going downhill. <laughs> well, that's why I don't cycle on the road. I've, I've got a static bike right behind me, as you can see. But um, I'm just terrified of traffic, um, especially down here in Cornwall when people kind of do 60 miles an hour around yeah. uh, blind bends. It scares me. Um, so I'd rather, yeah, I'd rather be running on trails. No, I totally agree. And, I mean, we're quite lucky here with the cycling um, and the running, actually, because, you know, we've got the North Downs, we've got Bedgebury, you know, we've got so much to do. And the lanes that we can cycle around some quite quiet little lanes, which is fantastic. So we are quite lucky. But, yeah, I totally agree with you. The traffic cars go so far, fast, past you, don't they? Mm. Um, followed by me doing funny signs at them because sometimes they... <laughs> I think they just like to see how close they can get. And it didn't seem to happen with running. Yeah. I think it's a, a sort of slightly passive-aggressive act. It's saying to you, you really shouldn't be on the road on that bike. This is for cars. Yes. And I I'm, think going to, I'm going to demonstrate to you how dangerous this is for you by nearly hitting you. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Whereas running, I suppose you see, if you are on a road running, you're on the other side of the road, you're running towards the traffic. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they think, oh, that's good. Aren't they are good, good getting out and doing some exercise? Yeah. So they <laughs> swerve all the way around. So it's fantastic. Whereas the cycling, as you say, I think they get a bit cross with us. Well, there's a culpability angle to it as well, I think. I think with a cyclist, if they hit you, they could say, well, it was his fault. He was cycling the road. Whereas a pedestrian, okay, a runner, it's it's always going to land on the car, um, the driver of the car, which is culpable for that, right? So yeah. I think there's probably like – most most of these drivers are probably weighing up probability of going to jail very rapidly in their minds as they either overtake you or whatever it is. Yeah, well, bless them. <laughs> um, so – it, by the way, 60 next year, that's just, it's, it's always... I know, isn't it fantastic? It's, it's, all these things, I'm 50 next year, and these things just creep so up. I'm 40 um, next year. Oh, oh bugger off, Tris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so jealous. <laughs> Are you old enough to be on this podcast? Um, <laughs> but it, is, it, it never, I think if you have the right mindset, it never, I, I certainly don't feel 50. I can't believe... I, I look at it and I think, Christ, I've still got so many things to do. How could 50 years have gone past? Yeah. It's just a number, isn't it? Totally. That, that's my, uh, my thing. And I think also if you're naturally a sort of a quite a, a fit person or, you know, you like being outside and doing things, then I think you're just going to hopefully stay fitter and want to do things. And, yeah, I mean, God, there's so much to do. So mm. much to do. Um, Absolutely. No, 60, I tell you. My mother is a bit upset with me because I'm not having a great big party because I've got other things that I want to do. So she's a bit miffed with me. <laughs> you mentioned, um, you know, your, your knees preventing you from doing long running. Do you, yeah, and obviously that's part, probably not necessarily to do with age, perhaps more just to do with the fact that you've run a very long way mm. uh, in your life um, and, and in, in, in short, in, in uh, specific times as well. Um, but besides that, do you feel like, you know, your body's getting older and it can't do what it used to do? Or do you think it's more a case of actually, if you don't stop, then it's quite happy to continue on as normal? Um, I definitely notice that it takes me longer to recover, um, from things. So, you know, when I first started running, you do a hundred miles or whatever it is, and you'd recover quite quickly. Uh, whereas as I got some older, it took me longer to recover from, from something. Um, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely feel a bit stiffer in the mornings when I sort of get myself out of bed and things. But I think as long as you keep yourself active and you keep doing it, then your body just adapts to everything yeah. and you keep, you can keep going, but you definitely, yeah, you definitely do feel it as you get older. It just, everything is, is harder to keep mm. going. So I guess the trick then really is to resist your body's suggestion to stop because maybe if you do or then then that's when you you know things start to get really hard and you know even walking down the street as it is for a lot of people in yeah. in older than you obviously but in an old age because they're just not conditioned to doing really any exercise. No and I think if you if you compare sort of uh, you know my generation to let's say my 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 mother's generation or the last generation then you know, 60 for them was quite old. Mm. I mean, I know 60 is sort of old, but it isn't, doesn't seem as old in our generation because we're doing so much more. You know, they weren't doing, some people were, but they weren't sort of doing the things that we do 
now. And for us, it's, it's very natural to go out and do a five mile run or do a park run or 10 miles or whatever it might be, or go on a, a, a bike ride. It, it's sort of part of who we are. So yeah, I think it's, uh, I, I can't imagine not doing it now. It's just movement, isn't it? Even if it's going for a walk, it's just nice to get everything moving. Feels good, doesn't it? Oh, it feels fab. Doesn't it? I love it. Even playing golf. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Let's not go that far. <laughs> You're only 40. <laughs> yeah, I'm only 40. There's plenty of time to acquire a golf addiction. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, it's, yeah, it's, I, 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 my, wife's uh granddad was a, a pga golf official and her entire family seemed to be all my brothers-in-laws and my father-in-law are, 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 are naturally gifted at golf and i learned very early just not to compete in something that i can't win at it's just walked away <laughs> we've got a very rude name for golf in our house oh have you oh well that's fair <laughs> enough no my children have for us too so that's all right <laughs> <laughs> it does seem to be though that there's this whole um as as a, a group of people, we and, and there are lots of us in a growing field of runners and cyclists and stuff, as a generation maybe or a span of generations, we seem to be doing a lot more than people have possibly ever in terms of pushing our bodies. And we're finding the boundaries of, of what can be done. And it, it are there people, so certainly uh, people like yourself, and, and we interviewed our friend John Mergler, um, who's a, a, an awesome athlete, and, and, and he's in his 60s. Are there people that you look up the field, if you like, at, at the higher age groups and go, do you know what? That's, that's just if I can't slow down yet because they're still going. Do you, do you feel that's a, almost like... A, a, a... <clears throat> Sorry. Um, no, I don't tend to look... Um... But I do, I'm, I'm always very impressed when you look at, uh, you know, you look at some of these people who are in their 70s setting records with, you know, marathons. Mm. And you're thinking, that's impressive. Because, again, it's why should a number stop you or age? I think if it's something that you love and it's something you're able to do and something you've always done, I don't see why we can't keep on doing it as long as we possibly can. So it's sort of... Um, and we do push ourselves much more than people used to. Um, Did you I ever think- see the the gun? I think she's called Gunhilda Swant- Swinton or Swanton. She finished Western States at the age of seventy three in yes. twenty nine hours fifty six seconds. I did. I mean, that, oh, I mean, just incredible, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely yeah. incredible. And you just one think- of the most amazing finishes ever. Yeah. And I think that's. I mean. Absolutely fantastic. And I love it. And I love things like that. And I love the fact that, uh, you know, age hasn't, hasn't allowed, hasn't, she hasn't allowed age to be a barrier. She was still smiling when she finished as well. She was thanking, I think, um, Rob Craft for running along with her. She's like, oh, I'm so happy that you came along with me. Like, <laughs> you just did some 30 on, oh my God. Yeah, no, I mean, that's an incredible run, isn't it? But you know, how amazing, how mm. amazing. So again, I think it just shows what our bodies are able to do at whatever age. I mean, yes, we're going to slow down slightly but uh, and get slightly more creaky, but yeah, do, you know, do your strength and conditioning, do your all your other bits and pieces, then yeah, it's amazing what you can do. Yeah, and I think it's it's really important not to allow us because we we all joke about the ages and everything else, but it's really important not to use it as an excuse. And I think a lot yeah. of people 
can tend to do that. Think, well, I can't do that because now I'm in my and 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 we all know people who are our own age that maybe don't do the things that we do and maybe have excuses about this or excuses about that. But I don't think unless you're prohibited from doing something, I think age. I, I don't know what age it does become an issue, but I definitely don't feel like we can use it as an excuse for things. I don't think so. And and I think, you know, people who do use it as an excuse, perhaps, is because they don't really want to do it in the first place. Mm. So, you know, I think we all want to do the running, do the cycling, get outside, you know, be active. That That's part of sort of who we are. Um, but perhaps they... Sit on the sofa and, I always I wish they could donate their time to me. Yes. If you're not going to use it, can I have <laughs> your years? Yeah. <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? And I'll just borrow your knee while I'm at it. Yeah, yeah that'd be great, wouldn't it? Um, but yeah, I mean, I love it. And I think that, it, you know, it's part of who we all are getting out. And, you know, and it doesn't matter whether you're nearly 40, nearly 50 or nearly 60. So there we go. <laughs> it's the nearly podcast, isn't it, today? Yeah. We're almost there. <laughs> um, and we are nearly done. I we think. are. Mimi, thank you so much. Uh, we would definitely like to have you on again at some point in the future, for sure. There's so many things. I've got a whole page of things that I wanted to ask and I didn't quite get there. Um, oh, that'd be lovely. But um, yeah, if you're ever down in Cornwall as well, do do pop in and say hi. But, yeah, um, no, definitely. Thank you so much for coming on. So your books, Beyond Impossible and Limitless, are available. If people are still looking for things for Christmas gifts, oh, yes. um, you can help fund um, <laughs> Mimi's golf addiction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you a new driver. Come on, guys. <laughs> fund Mimi's new driver. <laughs> uh, but yes, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's been a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Oh, no, thank you very much for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And a happy Christmas to you. Yes, happy Christmas to you too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Trail and Error podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to like, subscribe, and most important of all, share it with your friends and your family. Also, if you have any guest suggestions or suggestions for features that you would like to see on the Trail and Error podcast, please get in touch with us via our social media channels at trail underscore and underscore error underscore UK. It makes more sense when it's written down, I promise you. Oh, and we're on Facebook too. See you next time. Thanks for listening.